0: Everybody, welcome back to that so fringy podcast. We are so excited for this episode. We just talked to Brian Godawa, and uh, man, he is just a wealth of knowledge. I can't wrap my head around how somebody can have so much knowledge packed in, into one head, but the guy is fantastic. He's written several books. You guys might recognize him from our previous episode, Psalm eighty-two that we did with him, where he explained the Nephilim. Um, you know. The the Psalm 82 worldview, as it's called, those type of things. And uh, that was a good episode. For those that haven't heard it, go back and listen to that one. But this he time... He was
1: kind enough to come back on. And we yeah, are this so, gra- time, so grateful.
0: He's got a new book out called Cruel Logic. And it's a theological thriller. Meaning... He debates basically this idea of what is Christianity in this new kind of woke culture that we have, what it's like to be a student Christian at a woke college. Um, Also, there is this idea of, you know, a serial killer loose on campus trying to philosophize people into explaining why he should let them live. It's a fantastic read. The philosophy in the book is outstanding. The arguments in the book back and forth are outstanding. It just gets your mind thinking. But before we get into that episode, I would like to talk a little bit about Baby Malachi. Guys. Baby Malachi have a baby. is here. Kristen got a baby for Christmas and for her no, birthday, my birthday all together. Both, <laughs> so I don't have to get her Christmas gift or birthday gift. It's just wait, whoa, whoa, it's whoa. fantastic! Whoa. Yeah,
1: I actually also got a bread maker.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: Th- thanks, Rick. Yeah, he's like, got- now make me bread.
0: That's right. I got you, girl. So Malachi's here, 7 mm-hmm. what? 711. No. 711,
1: 20 and a half inches. He was yeah. born on December 5th. Bethany and baby are doing fabulously. Very she well. is She's an amazing human being. Can't wait to have her back on the podcast, but you know, we're going to we're going to let her take a little time off.
0: I guess spend whatever. Time with the baby. But what? <laughs> With that, that's a little update for you guys. Everything's going mm-hmm. good here with us. You know, we're just grinding, wanting to do more research. We got another episode that Kristen's
1: researching for right now. That's coming up. We're going to be talking about, tell them. The Oklahoma City bombing. So we're still in our false flag series, um, which is obviously an event that happened that killed people that was terrible, but it didn't happen the way or by whom they they said so i'm digging into the oklahoma city bombing stuff now and then you, you know, we don't know exactly where we're going to go on the next one, but we have some school shootings that we want to talk about. And we, we have actually bounced around the idea of doing the JFK assassination. So
0: yes, we it.
1: we shall see where our research takes us.
0: That's right. We're going to
1: have a little break in between with some of this stuff because this is, you know, doing the false flag stuff is really is really heavy and yeah. it takes a lot of research and a lot of time. And sometimes it's fun to just get on with guests and, and let somebody else teach you for a little bit so we're gonna take little breaks in between because we don't want to overwhelm you with some of the some facts. of the more more negative parts of culture.
0: Yeah. But we do have Demon Eraser coming on.
1: We do For those of you that know
0: who Demon Eraser is, he's agreed to come on. We're gonna talk about some things like deliverance and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Who else we got? Oh we got Justin from the dig podcast but now he started his own podcast. What's it called? Prometheus Prometheus Lens. Lens. Yeah so
1: yeah, he's Prometheus gonna come Lens. on yeah.
0: If you guys yeah. remember Justin from the Dig podcast, he came on and did the Three Rebellions podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a fantastic one. If you haven't heard yeah. that one, go back and listen to that. But he's going to come on and talk about what he's doing now on his new podcast, Prometheus mm-hmm. Lens guys, we can't stop, won't stop. You can't stop a freight train. We <laughs> love doing this. We love interacting with you guys and it's just going to keep coming. So get ready. And we're if you haven't continue.
1: noticed, I have a bit of a new background. Mm-hmm. I've taken over my son's room because he has like super computer and a huge, awesome desk. And so I just kind of <laughs> kicked him out and said, sorry, I'm sorry, taking over your bedroom for hair. a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he gets it. He loves his yeah. mama. Well, you guys are so awesome for coming and listening to us. We couldn't even begin to express how much we are thankful for you guys. We're not in this for the money. We're in this for the love. And uh, you guys are showing us love. We're showing you love. And we just, we're loving it. If you know what I mean. Oh,
1: so, it's like oh. a love fest in here.
0: Oh, also it's Christmas time.
1: Oh, I know. I did a little studio decorating. She were, she I can't were, help it. I can't she help myself. My,
0: my flat earth map. She wrapped it up. Uh, just, just put it just away. Just go with
1: it, okay? Just, just go, go with, with it. it.
0: It's good right, time and I like it. Well, <laughs> I want to get into this episode mm-hmm. and... Uh, at the end of this episode, you're going to see a poll at the bottom uh, in the show. Is the show notes, and then below that, there's going to be a poll. So if you guys scroll to the bottom of this page that you're listening to on Spotify, scroll to the bottom, and you'll see a poll. I'm going to put on there whether you would like us to do a live Q&A, and we're going to be doing that probably from Rumble youtube and instagram i think is what we're going to do so we'll be announcing we'll put out the date
1: ahead of time so you guys know you could get your questions ready you can yeah whatever but but just to be able to have some real-time interaction with everybody i think would be awesome
0: yep so we're going to do that coming up we'll announce that but i i want to know in the in the poll if you guys want to see that and that's something that you'd like to do so Mm -hmm. give us some love in the poll and uh with that
1: And, and a reminder if you're not listening on Spotify, you're not seeing our video. Mm-hmm. So Spotify is a, is where you go to to watch the video and it's just in the in the actual program. You don't have to go to anything special, just start listening to the the Spotify link and and you get to see us. You'll get to see us and you get to see well, obviously, we're Norwegian, so this is the background for now, but
0: That's right. Well, I think we've significantly taken up their time. They came to listen to Brian, and now they're just listening to us, and they're like, bored, move on. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do that. Moving on. All right, everybody. Welcome back to that So Fringy podcast. We are back with our friend Brian Godawa, the author and screenwriter. You know him from our previous episode. Maybe you're new to the podcast and you haven't heard of him before, but we want to reintroduce him to you. Brian, he's with us here. How are you today?
2: Great. Uh, good to be on with you, Rick and Kristen.
0: yeah it's so awesome to have you we heard you have a new book and uh, cruel logic as it's called and uh it's a it's a novel and so we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about I, I was overwhelmed uh, by this book. I, I thought it was fantastic. And so we just wanted to talk about some of the things that are in the book, tease out kind of where you were going with those things in your head, those type of things. And uh man, we just love to have conversation with cool people. So, and you're mm-hmm. one of those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so tell us how you, how I'm you not got that cool. <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, check me out. Just tell us how you got this idea because I'm so fascinated by this story,
2: yeah, crew logic has a, a quite a long history actually, <clears throat> so I'll go back far enough where um so I've always loved apologetics and mm. philosophy at least from my college from when I got into college freshman year from that point on I was interested deeply in apologetics and philosophy so i've done a lot of that read a lot of that throughout my life um but uh yeah well okay so so one of my old time favorite apologists when i was younger was this old guy he's he's the late dr martin uh, Mm -hmm. walter martin actually he wrote this book kingdom of the cults he's way back in the 70s you know what i mean so sure but he was great. He was a rascally guy and had a good sense of humor, um, but he also was very creative in how he came up with ideas. And he was explaining on this old show, uh, old radio show, about how he was frustrated with an atheist who couldn't understand what he was trying to explain to him, that yes, as an atheist, you may have morality that doesn't mm-hmm. seem much different than mine, but you don't have a basis for your morality in your Mm. atheist worldview and he didn't get it so he finally said okay look it's 1940s germany and i'm a nazi uh, guard camp and you're a jew and i've got a gun pointed at you give me one reason why i shouldn't shoot you Mm. and i never forgot that all through the years i thought that was one of the most powerful ways of really explaining the moral argument for the existence of god and what that is is Mm. that people who claim that um god is a problem because moral problem right because you see so much evil in the world how can such a god loving god you know allow that well that's a common thing people christians can often be stumped by it but the really if you look into that logically and stuff the problem is not with the christian the problems with the unbeliever because if What the Mm -hmm. unbeliever says is true about reality. There is no transcendent objective God. Therefore, there's no transcendent objective morality that we are obligated to. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there's only power. And so, really, the atheist is the one who has a problem. Because if you believe there is no God, then there's no such thing as evil. Evil being an objective standard that transcends our subjective feelings right doesn't matter how much you feel it's it's right it's still wrong that's what we say when we talk about evil Mm -hmm. so but if there's no god then there is no ultimate standard and you can't call anything evil you can just say i don't like it or whatever but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's just simply the the strong exploiting the weak and there is no morality to be to be spoken of so the very fact that you're outraged as an unbeliever uh, against christianity is evidence of the fact that that in your own heart of hearts, you know, there's a God and you're suppressing that truth and unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the apologetics approach to understanding that. But you know, I've also known that uh, a lot of Christians don't, uh, don't get into apologetics. It's too intellectual or even philosophy. It's just our ivory tower academic. and, And I get it. Not everybody has the, the kind of, you know, personality or character type to, to enjoy that kind of more intellectual stuff or abstract reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't hold that against people, but as a matter of fact, I love both um, you know, intellectual rigor as well as creative imagination. And so I always am looking for ways to put the two together. And to me, that was, that was, like I said, that was uh, an embodiment, an incarnation of the moral argument for the census of existence of God that I never forgot. And so, but I became a screenwriter, <clears throat> you know, wow. <laughs> 2001 or so was when I began. Yeah. And... um so, I end up writing a screenplay of Cruel Logic, and it was a low-budget horror film, uh, and I'll, I'll, the, the premise of it is this. Um, a, uh, there's a brilliant professor who's also a serial killer on campus, and what he does is he captures university professors, and he debates with them, and the topic of his debate is his moral right to kill them. Mm -hmm. so he'll take a professor like an evolutionary biologist or a queer theorist right and he'll say look you know he's captures them so they're tied up in the chair but they have to basically they have to uh argue for their lives he says if what you say is true about reality then give me one valid reason why i should not kill you and i'll let you go Mm -hmm. so he's using logic to to address their ethical systems and needless to say the resulting consequences are are quite dire indeed (laughs) Um, so that's sort of the premise of the story that became the screenplay for cruel logic but over the years i was never able to get it made as a movie and um i started writing novels in like 2011 and those were my um bible novels that i've been writing supernatural epics right Mm -hmm. but i finally got to the point where i could take a pause on that and and finally put into novel form this crew logic idea in fact i Mm -hmm. i loved it so much i i tried so hard to get it made i made a short movie uh called crew logic and it's one of the scenes out Mm -hmm. of the script with the one of the debate scenes and i shot it as a little short film and you can actually find it um on my uh website gadawa.com it's it's a cool little movie but anyway so i worked this out for so long <clears throat> but when i came to the point where i was going to write the novel a lot of things have changed in over, over the decade in in, or at least change in our awareness of what's going on in the universities. Mm-hmm. And although it's been going on since the 60s, postmodernism and wokeness has really uh, captured the universities. And that sort of brings a new, bigger dimension that's that's connected, but it's a bigger story. He's in, of course, engaging in his his um, serial killing, and there's a cop and a psychologist A psychology professor who's trying to hunt him down capture him but in the meantime there's also the story of a evangelical christian who's who's a freshman at this fictional um you know woke university and it tells his journey of being caught up into the social justice movement and wokeness and it shows how um As we're following his journey, we see him ill equipped to deal with these ideas because the in my opinion it's sort of showcasing the weakness of modern evangelicalism
1: mm-hmm. it's a
2: it's quite pathetic and unable to really address the the form most powerful form of unbelief these days and i mm-hmm. wanted to to you know we hear a lot about this christian deconstruction right yes. where a lot of podcasts pe- you know celebrities and stuff and musicians talking about how they lost their faith and mm-hmm. well look it's, it's you know that's been around since the beginning of time and ever since the universities there's been Christians who've gone to college and lost their faith but for some reason there's sort of this new way of seeing it and i i wanted to address that and and wrestle with that in the context of this university and how it all ties in is while this serial killer is indeed, you know, um, <clears throat> capturing these people, and he's going through this rigorous argumentation with them, and by the way, if you're worried, I one of the reasons why I put it in this entertainment context was I wanted to make philosophy interesting and entertaining. So it is, it does get heavy and deep at times, but I tried to to use the kind of writing that would make it interesting and worthy of people, cu- people's curiosity. Not, mm-hmm. You don't have to just be an intellectual to appreciate it, is my point. Sure. So, um, so, the context of the university now is the bigger picture story of what happens. Well, okay, what we're seeing in society today comes from ultimately – uh many sources, but I think the university is one of the dominant forces for changing our culture where we now see government, media, entertainment, it's all captured by this wokeness that we're struggling with, right? It really I, is. I think it comes from it starts with ideas. And ideas have consequences. Mm-hmm. So the university, when it when it began to turn against Western civilization rather than teaching Western civilization, um that's when when the beginning of the end is so to speak mm. and the 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 enemy of the left the enemy of woke left is western civilization that's why when they say things like you know patriarchy homos uh homophobia gender pho- phobia all that stuff you know sexism and all that stuff what they're saying is western civilization and that's their conscious goal mm. and underlying western civilization certainly in the ethical realm is judeo-christianity or the bible and that's why they are Mm -hmm. definitely and they try to link christianity to patriarchal as patriot the patriarchy and all that Mm -hmm. and so so there's this the this agenda which is a worldview agenda and what it does is you know how it gets you know we look around us now we say how in the world did this crazy crazy notion of gender, like there's more than two genders and that a boy can become a girl and a girl can can become a boy. How did that get, how did that absurdity get to the po- point where it's actually being debated? Well, it begins in the intellectual realm an ivory tower that we're not aware of, and they debate it, and they get, get they get it entrenched over decades. Then mm-hmm. the students come through, they get taught, they go out in the world, grow up, get jobs, and they go out into the government and the media, and they're bringing that with them. So, so it's easily accepted in all these other realms by so mm-hmm. many of those people who are taught by that. So it sort of trickles down from the university to the culture at large. And also artists will mm. also like reading a lot of that stuff and incorporating into movies, television, and music, etc. Sure, yeah. So that's that's the big picture of 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 the story I'm telling, and it really reflects the microcosm as well of what's going on in that personal thriller story. I call it a theological thriller, because sure. while I want to write an entertaining Silence of the Lambs type story because I enjoy those, I also want to wrestle with the important the most important issues to me is issues of human nature, the problem of evil, and the existence of God. And these are the things that I like to write about and wrestle with, and that's sort of uh that's how those two things you know work together and and that's that's the genesis of cruel logic and and you know, like I say, a, a big picture. A thematic rendering of what it is. The, the dominant theme of the story, one of the dominant themes is ideas have consequences. Right. When, when people teach these absurd things, people end up behaving in absurd ways, but also in way, in evil ways. So, and, and at the Mm -hmm. same time, I wanted to deal with this wokeness factually and realistically. And this is not an, uh, an attempt by me to go out there and demonize and write propaganda. Uh, that, that stuff doesn't interest me. I, so I wanted to capture what it's really like to be in the university. So all the events that occur within my story that happened in the university are actually based in real events that have occurred in the last five or 10 years that I know mm-hmm. about. And so I wanted to capture that realism so people get that sense of verisimilitude, as they say.
0: Yeah, and it was a very, very well done the way that you were able to s- seamlessly have these conversations in the, in the dialogue of the book that were, that were really unraveling these monstrous type of, um, Ideas that are coming out into the world these days, and how it's it's captivating the mind of the youth, and that's why I'm so glad that you you kind of wove um, Danny, the the boy in the book. I was really uh struck by his inner struggle and the things that he was going through and the way that he was living his life uh, trying to come from one world christianity to to this other world where he was like i have no idea what's going on you know and that's a very you know it's a story but at the same time that's what all of our kids are going through right now in the world you know and And so having that
2: we have to understand what is it that draws them, you know? And mm-hmm. I think on the surface, there's a sort of, you know, they use the term justice a lot, and every human has this intense, innate sort of desire for justice. We want just desserts for actions and behaviors. Um, but of course, they, they twist it and manipulate and turn justice upside down, but they appeal to things like the natural desire for compassion in the Christian or mm. the natural desire to be nice or ex- loving of other people. Um, and they turn it into these twisted, distorted um, uh, concepts that we now call DEI, diversity, mm. equity, and inclusion, all of which are the opposite of what they claim to be. Diversity yes. is not about diversity. It's about actual. Um, attacking one race because of their color, mm-hmm. white people. Uh, inclusion is not about including everybody. It's about excluding Christians and those who don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, equity is not about equity. It's actually about inequity. It's mm-hmm. about being unfair to those who are Um, uh, more advantaged or privileged or more successful, have more merit in their life by pulling them down in order to raise up those who don't, who who don't have that, who aren't as good, based on the lie of racism. In other Mm. words, every inequity in the uh, results or consequences in our society, you know, whether it's income level or success rates or something like that, is they they assume every inequity is because of racism, mm. and rather than t- looking at the responsibility of these different cultural groups and communities and how the values they teach each other, how that reinforces the, their behavior which results in their consequences, rather than that it's all no you're racist and you're you're oppressing everyone right, right. so this worldview of oppression oppressor versus oppressed this is part of the woke mindset the woke virus mind virus right Mm. and it's 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 a simple reduction and what the reduction is at its heart is the oppressor is, or let, let's say the oppressed peoples are all the marginalized minorities, people mm-hmm. of color, gays, lesbians, or whatever. Anyone who's a minority is, is part of the oppressed. And then the oppressor is white male heterosexual Christians. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and that's inherently evil. So if you are a white male heterosexual Christian, you are inherently evil, even though it has nothing to do with you, right? And this is a return to the same, in a way, it's a return to Nazi racial theory of the past, except mm-hmm. that the color, the color is reversed, the the mm-hmm. races are reversed, right? Yes. And, and it's, it's a weaponized form in order to uh, attack the majority and, and destroy the majority and gain power. Mm-hmm. Why? Because at the heart of, of woke leftism, of diversity, equity, inclusion, the heart and soul of critical theory, critical race theory, all of that is there is no objective reality. There's only power. And so, mm-hmm. they structure mm-hmm. their worldview- on how to gain power and how to take it away from others. And the way you do that is by redefining everything so that the people of power are bad so you can get the power and take it from them. And that is an idol. Uh, I would call it Baal. The God Baal is the God of power, and mm-hmm. um, that's the that's the dominant spiritual force that's driving it. Sorry about you. You get me launched off onto these uh, hey,
0: rabbit trails. That's what <laughs> you are here to do. No, I mm-hmm. love it. You know because, and I've been wanting to have this conversation with you. You sent me a copy of the book, and I listened to it, and I was blown away from the very beginning, just because I knew where the book was going. If that makes sense, you can kind of get the sense of where this book is going because of the philosophy and the way that this guy is talking. And I love philosophy personally. I love to tease these things out. I'm always one, and I talk to people at work and everybody in my life, really, about what is the consequence of the next step. And then what is the consequence of that next step? And then what is, and you just, you have to walk these things down the path. And when you say they're trying to take away the power, basically from the white male Christian, that completely negates all of their testimonies about Jesus, basically each and every one of them. And so if you take out the majority or all of the male white Christians that are trying to talk to you about Jesus, you don't ever get to hear the name of Jesus anymore because <laughs> you've taken out this this majority they don't want you to hear it and that yeah it, it, it's
2: basic it's basically a redefinition of majority as evil they say white supremacy mm-hmm. as if like just because you're in the white majority means you are a Nazi. I mean, it's ridiculous, <laughs> and it's absurd on the face of it, but yes. they've they've been able to capture a lot of these institutions. so yeah, I think that the critical theory, critical race theory, it's you know it's it's just basically redefining the majority mm. that happens to be white, has nothing to do white, skin color, has mm. nothing to do with anything, you know, um intelligence or anything like that but they just want to use that as a weapon. And what's interesting was because, I I mean, I like to say sometimes say that, um, okay, if you're going to play the critical race theory game, then actually your definition of whiteness is itself an attempt to divest people, certain people of color, of their color, because white means without color. But white people are not really white people. We're not white. We're actually mm-hmm. tan. We have melanin. It's just not as much, right? And so, right. really, the, the word white and whiteness is itself a political bigoted term intended to divest a person of their color. Mm-hmm. So, nothing. there's really nothing about the critical theory, critical worldview, postmodernism uh wokeness there's nothing about it that is actually rational it all Mm -hmm. reduces to absurdity it just takes a little time and effort and thinking to get there and Mm -hmm. and uh it's not so easy i i get it it's not easy it hasn't been easy for me either to 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 unravel that mon- that monstrous ball of yarn you know <laughs> yes. but that's what i hope to do with the novel is to like i say putting it in that entertaining context helps me step by step uh, analyze all these different notions and deconstruct them mm. using uh, a killer who's a de- uh, a literal deconstructionist right um yes. and to 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 yeah to to deal with those those issues i kind of call the novel narrative apologetics mm. and which means You know, it's it's a creative way of really um, addressing these issues in culture um, with apologetics, with a a strong rational approach, but embodying it within a creative, imaginative context that will help people to grasp it in in a way that they may not be able to if you read some text philosophy textbook, Mm. you know
0: oh yeah i mean the depths and lengths that that you were able to go just by just by having those conversations instead of just reading it out of a book you're able it's able to stick in your mind much much better than it would be if you were just you know trying to get it yourself but i wanted to ask you how when we go into the idea of deconstruction i think there is a certain point of our christian faith where I think some people do need to do a little bit of deconstruction. And then I think that there's some people that, that maybe deconstruct too much. <laughs> sure. And then there's this other group of people that they don't think they need to deconstruct anything because they've, so where do we tease out this Fair balance? Enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah.
2: And yeah. I mean, and isn't that the truth in general? There's always some truth in every opposing view. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I, when I write my stories, I try to cast the opposing views in the best light possible. I don't yes. come out there and demonize them. Um, and, you know, my Christians in those stories have flaws and pretty big sins at times. And mm-hmm. the, the, you know the unbelievers are some some of them are good people by you know standard definitions right so i want to create a balanced and a fair view of of people and show them at their best not to just demonize them and and so as well there's some truth there's there's actually some truth in postmodernism some truth in critical race theory etc mm-hmm. and but it, you, you know what what you're getting at is um i would say that it it's all gets back to what's the foundation of what you're doing. So if you've got a deconstruction yes. that's rooted in God's Word, that's a different kind of deconstruction. I deconstructed uh, several times in, in my past theologically where I've completely turned around about face on several of my theological views, but it was based on reading and studying the Bible yes. and God's Word. Mm-hmm. And – um and not embracing a godless system whose whose um, fundamental premises are anti-biblical. Now, you mm-hmm. don't necessarily know that up front, but you have to think deeper to find it and to see it and to understand that. But that's what I would argue is going on with these deconstruction cases. And sometimes the fault is with Christians. Like in my story, one, one of the points I want to make is, we Christians have been ill equipped. You, we go to our churches where we're taught very minimal stuff about dealing with the problems in the world, whether it's problems with Bible translation. You know, mm. we think, oh, this is God's word, everything is exactly perfect, like, like it was given f- directly from heaven, not providentially through, through man's writing. And we have this distorted view that we think that's what inerrancy is but it's not biblical because if you look into the facts if you look at bible transmission of translations and stuff over the years there's a lot of lot of textual problems it's called textual Mm -hmm. criticism Mm -hmm. and we don't learn any of that stuff because it's oh no it's god's word so just trust it but when they come to college and they finally you know discover Bart Ehrman, he's like the big popular one, and mm. they get taught these Bart, Bart Ehrman things, they see there's a lot of facts that have been ignored and suppressed, and it, it turns them upside down. They think, I've, it's been hidden from me. You know, people have kept this from me. And rather than being taught that and being taught the answers to it, they fall for it because it's it's, it's a natural vibe. What, what, what were these Christians hiding from me? Um, mm-hmm. As well as Other things, certain theological things that we we get taught, you know, whether the seeker friendly thing or the false notion of what what is loving your neighbor, you know, is it accepting their sin, you know, or can you love the sinner but hate the sin? And how do you do that? We're not taught that now. It's it's more focused on the so called you know, shall we say, compassion versus truth. Mm -hmm. And so, all these things, there's another one too, you know, the end times, you know, the way we teach people the end times can also uh, affect their ability to maintain, uh, or shall we say, can affect their faith in a negative way. For instance, you know, I would argue as Danny is in the novel, you know, he's been taught that, you know, we're in the last days, this is it, we're the last days. And it just, nothing gets you know they say all these prophecies are being fulfilled but they're not and things don't change and they just you know like these prophecies don't get fulfilled the blood moons come and go you know he's Mm -hmm. taught we're going to be raptured at any minute he's he's waiting to escape the world but because he's been taught just wait to escape the world he hasn't been taught how to fight the world and how Mm -hmm. to change the world and transform it with the gospel because we're, we're going to get out of here right so these are the kind of things that i think weaken the christian faith and make us easy prey to being um you know uh deconstructed in a, in a negative mm-hmm. in a bad sense and yet to some degree yeah we're, we're the church uh, the you know the, the churches are responsible for that to some degree because they haven't equipped uh christians well enough to to counter it
1: yeah you i know? think this next generation is so focused on emotion and 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 doing everything out of emotion instead of standing on the rock, which is which is God's word, which is God's truth. And yeah. and, and I think it's gonna be a, a big a big hindrance for this generation coming yeah, up. Yeah, it
2: really is. And and it's important for us to understand that um our arguments in logic, when we lay out the facts and the logic, they don't it doesn't appeal to them. They're not mm-hmm. thinking in that level. Yep. Does that mean we should jettison logic and facts? No, but what it does mean is we need to start to understand and communicate those things mm-hmm. within an emotional context. Yes, and by the way, that's what I think storytelling is one of the best ways to do that, and that's why it's been my personal calling mm-hmm. and, uh, for for my life is 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 doing that. The, the mm-hmm. storytelling can meet them in their soul in a way that a uh, logical argument cannot and yep. we must still maintain logic we must still maintain facts but we have to become more savvy with persuasion and mm-hmm. we've got a long way to go with that sadly but
0: yeah. i, I still really think do. there's a
2: lot of christians who who do get it and they're 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 working on it you know we're getting better mm-hmm.
0: i see that yeah. I see that in the, in the world these days. I see it on the internet. I see it in the correspondence that I have with people that we talk to an interview and, and our, our, our audience as a, as a whole, you're seeing that everybody wants to be a little bit better to each other. They want to try to do a little bit better. And, and there, I think people are beginning to realize that my actions do really affect you. You know, I think we got through some of the hardships of the last few years and and people are starting to rely a lot more on each other, a lot like, they yeah. did right after nine eleven where everybody came together, you know, like nine twelve was a big day for America. Everybody yeah. came together and was really tight and uh you know, whatever you think about nine eleven. But nowadays we we're coming together in this hardship and we're finding common ground and these podcasts are popping up like crazy and people are willing to have discourse again you know I did like that you talked in the book about you know discourse how, how we have to have this we have to be yeah. able to have these talks and we don't anymore where where these guys used to stand out in the square and wax poetic all day just talking about all of the things yeah. that, that are going on in the world and, and just basically giving them their thoughts you know and people would stand around and just listen to their thoughts and And also engage and interact yeah absolutely yeah and you're beginning to see that again so one example i think
2: is precisely what you guys are doing you know we we have with the explosion of podcasting now normal people as long as you're talented and do a good job of it you can actually become influential and we see ironically uh a lot of podcasts that can sometimes go on for two hours of just people like us we're talking heads and people are just hungry for this stuff because yes. we, we, despite the fact that there is a component of our culture that's very much like, you know, immediate gratification, uh, what is it? The adrenaline junkies of the, of the, um, social media, you know, swiping yes. and all that kind of stuff. But there is a corresponding. Backlash of people wanting depth and wanting to hear something in depth for a, a discussion, a conversation, you know, yes. and, um, and, and I'm hopeful in that sense, but, but a lot of that is based upon freedom mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, with the lockdowns of, of the COVID lockdowns, the, our fascist government in America has, has, you know, um, already operated in that way of controlling us and imposing a kind of a mass psychosis Mm -hmm. where, you know, you alienate everyone, you, um, you know, you frighten them with this boogeyman, like the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. And not to say that COVID wasn't real, it was real and people died, but they exploded it into this that we now know was lies at almost every level. Yes. the, we did the opposite of what we should have done. We should have kept everything open and only quarantined the sick as, as mm-hmm. you've always done in history, right? right? Right. I'm going off topic, but, but my point is, is that, is that, that control though has, has, has also gotten into the speech. Mm-hmm. And so what they did then is, and now has what has come out and is coming out more and more is how literally the government, the FBI, the, the uh, what is it? Homeland. Department Homeland of Homeland Security, Security yeah. DHS, uh, and other um, intelligence organizations were literally working with all this mainstream media to suppress facts and knowledge yep. about COVID and about the vaccine, which is mm-hmm. now this, we now realize it's this worthless, useless thing that, mm-hmm. that is actually killing people and is soon going to be killing as many people as COVID did. Yes. So, but- the point is, is freedom, uh, a culture's lost when you no longer have freedom of speech. And so that's why mm-hmm. they're focusing so much on mm-hmm. uh, not allowing us to speak. And that's why, you, you know, you see in, in left, in leftist universities, what's mm-hmm. happened lately, these university presence of Harvard and MIT. And it's, it's okay to promote genocide of the jews cuz that's a left wing viewpoint right mm-hmm. that's that has that's, has freedom right but no conservative ideas are allowed because they're nazi like right you okay. know right, so conservatives right. aren't allowed to communicate on campus and and they're suppressed and that's the goal the goal is because freedom is rooted in freedom of speech. If you're not allowed to speak, then the truth will be squelched. Mm-hmm. And yep. so you be, you lose all freedoms by losing the freedom of speech. And that's yes. why they're so heavily focused on suppressing that. Thank God we have enough openness. And some people, I mean, you know, yeah, we can go down that path. But, yeah. but um, that's one of the things that occurs in my novel where I have the speech codes being enforced and I have... Students rising up in protest and becoming violent like they they have been, mm-hmm. and how the the administrations on these campuses are themselves the most oppressive oppressive fascist regime- regimes you can imagine
1: and
2: and and they begin with suppressing speech, but ultimately you know they'll end in in you know kicking you out firing you or or what have you. So yeah, all of these things are connected.
0: Yeah, and it's a it's a nasty web of evil and yeah. and that's why standing up against you know the the thought police and all of those different things is yeah. because you you said the word freedom and I think all freedom is only comes when there is revolution, right? Where we have where we have a revolution of of the oppressor beginning to not have the power that they have anymore, right? There, there is this loss of power for the oppressor and the, the, the oppressed rise up. That's, that's great. If you have freedom, but once you have that freedom, the problem is, and what we're finding, this is happening. They're starting to now, be the oppressor, where the the oppressed want the power so that they can suppress. And it's just yeah. this nasty cycle. And we see this like with gang violence. I used to, you know, tutor kids and talk with kids. I said, what is gang violence? You're going to have this guy shoot your cousin, and then he's going to go over and shoot his dad, and then he's going to go over and shoot his brother. And it's just going to be back and forth. It's, I said, yeah. it's not a gang war. It's a ping pong match. That's really what's happening here. And it's never going to stop. And if you don't have any referees, you're, you're just doing whatever you want to do.
2: Yeah. And I was going to say, that's why I think Christianity is the only answer to that. Because again, if there is no God, then ultimately, ultimately, Nietzsche was right. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche said that you know he was he was fearing the very thing he feared. He said would happen has happened, mm-hmm. and that is the nihilism of power. Mm-hmm. And ironically, his views actually led to that. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> postmodernism is very much the logical conclusion of Nietzsche, Nietzsche's own philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, without God, at all you ultimately, when you become more and more consistent, they have all these systems. Whether it's you know whatever. Libertarianism or, you know, uh, Democrats or liberals or leftism, but they're all basically reduced to power in the end without mm-hmm. the, a living God to be the control factor of man's nature. This is why the founding fathers were so brilliant and we have the potential, uh, because we have the, you know, the, it's not perfect, but the best system possible to mm-hmm. restrain tyranny. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of this. They don't mm-hmm. reduce the world to oppressor and oppressed. They understand all humans are created in the image of God, and therefore they have the potential to be, to be good, but all humans also have a sinful human nature. Yes. And because of that, power will always be an aphrodisiac or a temptation for mm. anyone good Just. or bad who gets it. So therefore the institutions that they sought to build, they, you know, they're falling apart now, but nonetheless, they lasted for a while. Mm. Um, the institutions they sought to build were based on that, that balance of power issue. Um, so that no matter who you were, Right wing, left wing, or whatever you your li- your power should be limited. Why? Because no matter how good you think you are, or you are, mm-hmm. you can be tempted by power to become a tyrant. And um, that was the brilliance of their system. And in, as opposed to revolution, which is revolution is the rising up of the masses to overthrow their those in authority. But revolution is unbiblical in the sense that um it is or it is a rejection of authority mm-hmm. rather than a submission right. to authority mm-hmm. and uh now does that mean we should just sit back and let tyrannical governments roll over us no not necessarily there are ways to deal with that mm-hmm. but the mob revolution that is always driven the left whether it's the french revolution mm-hmm. right with the guillotine mm-hmm. um communism or today that you see the, the students or the, uh, you know, like Portland, Oregon, when they get the CHAZ, you know, the, uh, yep. you know, the autonomous zones, you see mm-hmm. everything devolves, devolves into chaos yep. with their approach because that's what revolution leads to. Um, so how to properly deal with t- tyrannical authority is a, is a different issue. and But mm-hmm. nevertheless, that's the heart and soul of what's come out of the university, mm-hmm. which is heavily rooted in marxism for for one thing, but uh, yeah, yeah at least in terms of its political edge it 's got that marxist edge to it, you know
0: sure. <laughs> I was fascinated by the amount of research that one would have to do to write a book like this. How how many? And you said this goes way way back. So how many yeah. hours do you think you've put into this book? Or could you even? Yeah, quantify? that's not measurable. Yeah. It's not measurable. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, really, because a lot of all my writing of the addressing the ethical systems and mm-hmm. and philosophy comes from you know decades of my love for just reading that stuff and trying to understand it on my own, and sure. so all that gets incorporated in in fact that's one of the reasons why this novel was one of my most important novels to me personally was because precisely because it does embody the collective years of my study and presents it in in my favorite way of presenting the truth and um, it's very satisfying in that sense, you know, so yeah. but in terms well, of I writing think it's
1: you- proven with this generation that they respond better to yeah. non to you know nonfiction versus fiction. they they prefer to hear it in story form. They absolutely pref- and they're more likely to grab onto it if it's in story form like yeah. i mean even myself it's funny you said something about silence of the lambs which is one of my favorite movies <laughs> and that's what that's exactly what rick said after, when he was like part way through he's like babe you're gonna love it it's this like silence of the lambs feel and it's fantastic as a christian as a christian where do you draw the line like i like i like n- not horror movies but suspense type movies but they're not always. They don't always have a you know a biblical tilt, or they don't make yeah. you. They don't make you lean that direction. So or they're just
2: dark. They're dealing they're with a lot dark. of
1: darkness. Yes.
2: And look, there's a yeah. For the, so I'm thank you for that question because I do want to address that. Um, and some consist, some Christians are um, understandably concerned that you know um, you we shouldn't be spending so much time focusing on darkness and being entertained by darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Well i I actually agree with that as a um uh as a general caution for Christians, however, in and of itself it's not it's not biblical because the Bible is full of the worst evils you can ever imagine genocide gang rape right yep. all these things fill the Bible, but it what makes it different is context mm-hmm. and so if you're my, my argument has always been from my storytelling perspective if if you do not accurately depict evil mm. then the, the the redemption that you are trying to communicate will have no power because mm-hmm. people will not you know you know when you w- watch a movie or read a book and you're like it just doesn't ring true well then you don't mm-hmm. believe what they're offering you right so if you depict a you know if you depict the world like a 1970s you know TV show you know and uh, it's it's not going to ring true with people sure. now does that mean, you know, you go to the extreme and have pornography and all that stuff? No, no, it doesn't. So you've got to have a limit, but mm-hmm. just in terms of general addressing of evil, it has to be in there or the redemption will have no power. Now, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but that doesn't mean, for instance, my novel, I deal with a serial killer and, and there's a lot of crime scenes that are described, but I don't describe the gruesome, uh, details as he murders. Um, and I also, um, have a strong christian redemption at the end in case you're worrying Mm -hmm. about that if people readers are worrying but there's also an element that i brought in there that some christians have had some difficulty with and that is the language Mm -hmm. so there are f-bombs in there if if people need need, people need to know that but the reason why it's in there is not just to oh i just want to be realistic but because the students and this movement is heavy on students Mm -hmm. their language is heavily dominated by the f-word Mm-hmm. And their protests focus on the F word. And of course, I don't have it as much as they actually have it in real life. I just bring in enough in the novel to make the point. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is there's two things, there's two reasons for that. One is, look, if you're gonna have these students saying, gosh, darn it, or, you know, that darned, <laughs> you know, darned Western civilization, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it looks like I say a go- TV show yeah mm-hmm. and it's just that's not realistic and it also it's not very scary and therefore yeah. the redemption is not going to be powerful you're not going to show that evil accurately but also that is essential to communicating the heart of their violence and hatred yep. because mm-hmm. this wokeness is driven by a violent hatred mm. of the other mm-hmm. of the christian of white people and stuff and all violence begins with language, because the, the the evil person or the sinner knows the evil they want to do, but they have to justify it. So, they do it mm-hmm. by demonizing, by reframing, right? By calling mm-hmm. conservatives domestic terrorists or mm-hmm. Nazis- That makes them, well, it's okay to kill a Nazi then, right? Or it's okay to punch a Nazi, because we Mm -hmm. all think that is justifiable. So they have to demonize their opponents in order to justify the violence that they engage in. Mm, So it's very crucial to show... Again, ideas have consequences. So I need to show their, their language is full of violence, hate, violent hatred. And mm-hmm. that's what results in the violence that they engage in. If you don't have that, it doesn't make sense. You know? Yeah. And like I say, that doesn't mean to justify. I don't, you know, I don't like. Quentin Tarantino movies, you know, where every other word is there for and that's right. ridiculous. Yeah. But right. you've got to have a sense of reality, so there's got to be enough in there to make that point. And that's what I do, which is mm-hmm. no different than what the Bible does,
0: quite frankly. I feel like it was done very tastefully. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I wasn't offended by it by any means, but I am a little edgier than most Christians when it comes to that stuff, because I believe Jesus went out into the marketplace and he, and he dined with these people and if they were throwing around the F-bomb if they even had it back then, I don't know if that would be. Anyway. I'm sure they had an
1: equivalent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course they did. Yeah. I'm
0: sure he was, you know, the son of and God equivalent. wasn't looking across the table and being like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. You know, mm-hmm. he was about, yeah. he was about relationship and connecting with people. And, you know, I've been in several conversations with people where that have ended up leading them to Christ. And I can't even count the amount of words that they said in, in the context of that time. And And I, sometimes I think Christians get hyper-focused on what the what the yeah. lost are saying which that that doesn't really matter what they're saying it matters what we're saying you know are are we cussing back to them are we are we engaging that in our everyday lives or are we living as an example versus being able to be in a situation where it's not like you're being punched in the face by the f-word all the time you can actually you can actually take it for what it is and i love the way you put it in the book you know that they use it as all kinds of different ways Yeah,
2: as a, they use the f word as an adjective a noun a verb mm-hmm. an adverb they they just use it for everything yeah
0: yeah they don't, they
2: don't even know what the word actually means yeah
0: yep. yeah it's fantastic Well, we're coming to close to the end of our time, but I want to promote this book. I would recommend it to everybody. I mean, young, old, uh, it doesn't really matter. It's just the cool thing about this book is that it's a really good conversation starter. It's a really good teacher. Uh, if you, you could even do this as a, you know, as a study. I mean, it, it really is when you say it's a theological thriller, it really makes you think theologically, which is, which is a fantastic thing. Without
1: realizing that you're doing it. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. You're like, oh, wait, yes. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: I see what you did there.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would encourage everybody to go to uh, Brian's website. It's Gadawa.com. And where can they find you? Can they buy them there or do they buy them on Amazon?
2: No, yeah. If you want to buy them, all my books are exclusively at Amazon, but you can get it in paperback, hardcover, ebook or audiobook, all mm-hmm. exclusively at Amazon. And actually all the information you want to learn about the book is, is on Amazon too. So you can just go straight there. But you know, if you want to look at the other things I've done, I do have an mm-hmm. interesting website that I try to provide some interesting stuff for people. So you can go there as well and, and at yeah, least he's got a great learn website. about the books.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks, Uh, Brian, while I have you for just a few more minutes here, I I would like for you to just talk about your other books really quick, just as a promotion, because not, not in any length, just, you know, tell other people what else you have, because I find all of your books fascinating. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, this is the first book that I've done that is different from everything else I've written, which mm. is kind of a danger for an author because people get used to one thing and it's like, what? This is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so what I'm well, what I'm well known for is my best selling series called Chronicles of the Nephilim, but all my other series, Chronicles of the Watchers, Chronicles of the Nephilim, Chronicles of the Apocalypse, they're all kind of the same uh, sort of universe that, mm. that I'm dealing with. And they're all rooted in retelling biblical stories or historical stories. But, through the eyes of the supernatural worldview that sort of shows the angels and demons at, at war, the spiritual warfare that that goes on um, in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament as well, and to depict all that within the context of this, um, what I call the watcher paradigm. if You, you know, mm-hmm. people, some may have heard of watchers and Nephilim giants mm-hmm. and stuff. So, I deal with a lot of these weird esoteric or, um, you know, just – strange things in the bible i try to help them the reader to make sense of them because they are mm-hmm. all there for a reason mm-hmm. uh, giants like um goliath are not just a strange anomaly they're actually have they actually have a theological purpose in the bible and that's what my novels are trying to do is to tease out that that story that theological thread within the story and the narrative being true to the bible but filling in the fiction with research and history research that i've done Mm -hmm. as well um to kind of make it all make sense you know if that make if that makes sense so they're i call them supernatural bible epics Mm -hmm. so that you know you've it's like if you like braveheart or what you know i've got the wars and the battles Mm we've got some good romances and and all that kind of stuff in there so
0: yeah you can check those out as well on amazon yeah, I just wanted to let you plug that cuz I know we got a lot of new listeners that are coming in every day and we want to make sure that they're getting to know you and and learning to love the things that that we love, which is cool epic Bible stories uh, that get you closer in your faith to to your God. And I know that, you know, for the Christians out there I would like to say a collective thank you for all the work that you're doing because I know that a lot of people are benefiting from from what you're doing. So, thank Great. you. Uh, you're a guest on here anytime you would come and 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 have these conversations with us. You're awesome to us, and we love uh, you taking the time to uh, explain yeah. these things to our audience because it's so it's so critical. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate yes. it. Of course. I hope that
1: they make this into a movie because I'm i I'm a movie person. Person, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Tell, call, call, contact Daily Wire and tell them to make there it. You it a go. series.
1: But actually, hey
0: guys, it could be a series. Yeah, no, be. I think it would be a great TV series yeah. for sure. All right, buddy. We'll let you get, but uh, that's Brian Goodell, yes. Don't forget to check out his new book, Cruel Logic, on Amazon. We'll put a link in the show notes mm-hmm. for you guys. Uh, with that, we're going to sign off. Thank you, Brian, again. We'll talk to Thank you on the you next one. Thank you, Brian. Time.
1: Bye, guys. <laughs>